Hey everybody, it's Mike, and we are back with a new episode of Working It Out. It is uh, it is my honor and privilege to be joined today by Fred Armisen, one of the, the great comedians and actors and writers uh, living today. Uh, before we begin, I just want to want to mention the uh, worldwide comedy pizza party happening this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to Saturday. We added a 5 p.m. Eastern so that our our UK friends might be able to watch that, I think around 10 o'clock their time and in other parts of the world. And then we added a, a, a show where all the proceeds go to Texas food banks on Sunday. That has uh, guests Jimmy Kimmel and Chris Bianco, who is a world-famous pizza chef. On Wednesday, we have Pete Holmes as our special guest, and we are announcing new special guests very soon. Um, today on the show, we have Fred Armisen, who is one of the people who just makes me laugh harder than anybody. I mean, he's a writer and star of Saturday Night Live and... and uh, Portlandia. He he's the band leader for Late Night with Seth Meyers. He's had uh, he's lived ten lives in show business. He started out uh, playing drums with the Blue Man Group and playing in punk bands, and he's just sort of done it all. He's an incredible impressionist to boot. And we have a great chat, and we work out one of my new stories. And uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation. Fred Armas. Two SNL questions. One is you could ask a billion SNL questions. I know. I have a lot of questions. I don't mind. What 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 did you learn for a sketch that you were like, oh, this is really cool that we get to learn this from a professional? Do you mean like um what like a lesson in general from writing sketches? That that too. Oh well, how did you mean it? I meant it like a skill, like learn to dance or learn to do the oh. cha cha or learn to do like a thing, a thing where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm like working with like a really high level like like ballroom dancing instructor or something. Uh, for me, it it was um, a prosthetic makeup. So like <laughs> really? fake, yeah. So all the stuff with glue and like fake noses and chins or cheekbones and stuff that they were at the sort of this cutting edge of the you know the uh, technology of it all of like with the latest glue yeah. and that they're using that I loved seeing the very edge of what was being cuz you know there's new there are new inventions all the time uh, and like glue that can come on and off really easily singles with wigs so it's something that you think is like oh, there's just some specialists who do that and it'll work itself out. But really, it, these people have to, it's really got to look good and it's got to, um, uh, you know, stay on for a long time. And and so um, that was the the part that I really loved getting to see. What was the thing about writing or what, like what was the thing you learned that you're saying about writing and performing? Oh, that's a, that was like, it's like a, more than just a comedy lesson, but like a life lesson. But uh, it's, editing and not being precious about your own work. So so when I first got there, I would write a piece and I would think, hey, you know, they got me for this show and 
I have a special brain, apparently. <laughs> and then... <laughs> That's a good attitude. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, well, they have, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. They, these things that are coming out, I'm going to put it on paper. And then as, <laughs> as things get cut, you, you learn not to take it personally because yeah. it, they get cut because the audience just isn't reacting. So the lesson I learned is you cut all these things down or you cut a sketch out entirely or a page, and then the next week you come up with something else. Yeah. So the precious thing of like, this is my moment and this is my thing is nonsense. It's don't worry about it. There's another week. And the thing that will resonate is something you didn't even consider. So the editing part, I, I learned a lot from Tina Fey and, and from Seth Meyers too. Seth was very, he really, you know, really broke things down. You don't need this. You don't need this. And it turns out we did not. That's so fascinating because I think that... uh it's very, that's very similar to This American Life and what I've learned from Ira Glass from working with them over the years is like their, their staff, they, they, when they get rid of a paragraph or a story or a piece, they call it killing it. They, and they, they think of killing something as a positive and not a negative. They're just like, yeah, we killed that story. And it's almost like a, a, a badge of, of glory. Oh, that's great. Because it's almost like we killed that thing that was actually very good. <laughs> yeah. That's how good the thing is that we're going to make. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's it's such a great way to see it. Yeah. And I, I like that they use the term killing. That's really good because it is kind of like it's it's like a beast that's, that's, you know, shouldn't be. We do it when my director Seth and I are working on the solo shows. Like we we kill so much stuff that makes us laugh so hard. And oh, we're, yeah. we're just we're just like, yeah, it just doesn't fit with the story we're telling. Yeah, same same here. Where like it would be a character with an accent and with a wig and like with a whole, you know, backstory and <laughs> yeah. you know, I can't wait till this Saturday. I mean, this is, you know. <laughs> it's so funny because one of the things that got cut that I love, I mean, it lives on the internet, that's where I saw it, is you did an impression of Ira Glass from This American Life on Weekend Update. Act two. Oh boy. <laughs> Laid off, no guts, no glory, no job. A after a year of looking for work, Rita finally gets a job offer. But, but here's the catch. It's in Botswana. So, so, so you, you get this letter for, for, from a country you've never been to. I, I mean, what was going through your mind? It's so funny because I, so Ira heard about that sketch and then mm. he had you come on This American Life on an episode they had called Doppelgangers. And, yeah. and the two of you did sort of a dueling Ira Glass <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. The Ira Glass that he saw was from dress rehearsal. It never went to air. And the story was just that, like, you know, in, a, in, in, the, in its most blunt uh, description, it's that he just wasn't famous enough for the audience to be like, <laughs> right. hey, you really... <laughs> he right. thought it was funny that it was described that way, but that's a sort of... That's like the literal thing of the audience being like, we, we're not sure who this is. They're just maybe not necessarily NPR listeners. Yeah, that's one of the strange things about SNL is like the, the, the audience is so wide, you need sort of like most people to know what you're referencing. Oh, yeah. And from I remember for my audition, because I've watched SNL my whole life. Yeah, same. Every, 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 you know, 
new cast. I mean, it was always a part of my life. So yeah. when I did my audition, I remember doing Vin Diesel. This is 2002. Not because I had a great Vin Diesel, but just because I was like, I should probably do someone who is <laughs> <laughs> a well-known uh, person, you know. Yeah. My other impression was Sam Waterston from Law & Order. Do you remember what your Vin Diesel was? Uh, something, I did something with, because I remember his voice. <laughs> there's something in his, <laughs> there's something in the, something in, I don't know, in the, the the way his mouth is that creates that sound or something. So I don't know. Right. It, uh, yeah, yeah. It was like a, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's something in there. And and then what was Sam Watterson like? The trial judge, there's this thing with his S's. <laughs> it was like a, something with his S's that's, uh, it, it, he just had like kind of like a, I guess like a percussive. Why didn't you call 911? There's a, there's something oh in gosh. the, you know, I don't know, in the. Oh my gosh. I just liked doing him. I must, I find someone that with your level of talent to be astonishing. Oh geez, <laughs> I'm I'm it, I'm really I'm really uh, intimidated by. It. But no, but Mike, it's a, it's like a cheat, you know. It's not like <laughs> it's not like someone said to me, "We need a Sam Waterston." It's just like I was like, "Oh, I think I could do him." It's it's limited, yeah. you know. It's a, there's a limit to it. It's it's not like I could do. I mean, it, it really is. The people you saw me do on SNL, that's it. It's not like I've got. 50 others that I can, you know. Yeah, but you do this thing, and the people have seen you live or seen your special know, like, you do this thing where, like, you'll do, like, any region. You'll do, like, Syracuse, as, as specific as, like, Syracuse, New York or something. But that's the same same thing where I'll, I will, between me and you in this podcast, I don't mind it. I, I don't mind. Actually, I don't mind talking about it because it is like a, it's like a parlor trick or something. But I do skip over accents I just can't do. And there are <laughs> yeah, accents yeah. I can't do. There are, like... I really brush through um, Massachusetts because I can. Oh, really? Oh man, I cannot tackle it. It's too. That's one of my jokes in my new show I'm developing, which is I go. One day, I, my I, my daughter Una, she's at this adorable age, and uh, uh, I go, "Mom's going to put you to bed," and she said, "She's not your mom. She's <laughs> my mom." And I said, "That's what my therapist keeps telling me." And then I go, "Because all toddlers have a Boston accent." <laughs> They're like, I'm tired. And Boston toddlers are like, I'm wicked tired. That's the, by the way, that's the only accent I do is, is Boston. That's it. Oh, well, we'd make a good team, I guess, then. I just lean on you for that. Stepping away from my conversation with Fred Armisen to send a shout out to Helix Mattresses. Let me tell you something about Helix Mattresses. Sure, they win best overall mattress pick in GQ magazine or in Wired magazine. And sure, it'll be the best night's sleep of your life. But I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a personal anecdote about Helix Mattress. So I have one. I love it. Our in-laws stayed over recently. They stayed on it. And uh, then they said the next morning that it was more comfortable than a mattress brand that is competitive with Helix Mattress, who shall not be named. And if that isn't the nails in the coffin on competing brands, I don't know what is. Right now, Helix 
Mattresses are offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our Working It Out listeners at helixsleep.com slash burbigs. And now, back to the show. You came to the last two shows. You came to the new one, and you actually, I realized you came to Thank God for Jokes also. And down at the Bleecker Street Theater. And um, the new show is all about aging, and I'm actually this. I've, I've never said this until this podcast right now because I changed the title yesterday from YMCA Pool <laughs> to the Old Man and the Pool, oh. and it's all and it's all about aging. Yeah, and it was it was just an interesting exercise in like, um, and the, the, the listeners might be interested in this is like naming and like for me YMCA Pool, it was the name is that it was the it was the title for a long time like a couple of years literally working title. And then I reached a point where I read a book about the YMCA pool history, and I go, you know what? It's got too much baggage. <laughs> like it's got like it me. It's like young Christian male, and it's just got all of these. Oh, yeah. And it's like actually, this show isn't about that. And then I was like, well, it's about aging. And then I thought, old man, the pool, and I thought, old man in the sea, etc. And I thought, well, that's sort of fun. That's great. That's a, that's a, by the way, that's a good uh, catch. Thanks. That baggage that you're like, oh wait a minute. So that's yeah, really I don't want to carry the YMCA baggage with me. <laughs> I, it just doesn't doesn't interest me. And then like so like with you with Portlandia, like I was thinking about Portlandia today. It's like how did you arrive at that title? That's a real that's a real beautiful title. Oh, that's um, that's easy. That is the name of a statue there. Oh, wow. We had some other names for the show. Um, Stumptown, I think we had a couple other ones. Uh, Someone at the office who works at Broadway Video, uh, one of the producers there, she's from Portland, and she just pitched it. She's like, what about Portlandia? Yeah, what about Portlandia, like the statue? And we're like, that's it. It's interesting how the title is so specific to a place that most people have not been. I've been to Portland a lot, and I love it there, but most people haven't been. And yet, there's a universality in the specific of the type of character on the show that people go, oh my God, that's just like these people I know in Brooklyn. Yeah. Or that's just like these people I know in Philadelphia. Or that's just like these people I know in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, that was the idea. That was like everything that we saw in that that kind of culture there is everything that I'd experienced in so many cities, and you know, like in, or in Silver Lake, um, Silver Lake's a perfect example. Yeah, Wick, Wick, Wicker, yes. Wicker Park in Chicago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, St. Paul, you know, or, or Minneapolis. Yeah. Just like I'd seen it. I'm just, I gravitate towards those places. So it was, that was, that was immediately what it just became about. Even though it's Portland, it's just like every place that we knew that Carrie knew from being on tour. Yeah. And, um, and also I think we, it was easier for us too because it's what we like. So we were yeah. very much like those characters where, you know, that's all that stuff was just our world. Do you ever have a thing where, like, Portlandia in some ways is a quote unquote, it's like an impression of Portland, mm-hmm. people in Portland in a way, mm-hmm. uh, in the Ira Glass impressions, impression of Ira. Do you ever have it where, like, people are hurt by the depiction? They feel like their feelings are hurt. Hmm. Feelings are hurt. Maybe 
I don't, I think I'm like, not. I had it with, I had it with Ira once where I did an impression of Ira casually in an interview and he goes, I don't really like that impression. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I didn't do it again. I never did it again. Wow, that's so honest of him that <laughs> he said Because I'm not that. a great impression. I'm just not a great impressionist. I was just telling it as an anecdote and whatever. And then uh, he was just like, that's not that good. And then, and then meanwhile, you do it, and then you get invited on This American Life to do it for you know, na- international stage. <laughs> I don't, I had two, two very different outcomes. I don't know. I, you know, I can't. I don't know if there is a specific uh, example of someone being like, hey, that hurt my feelings. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, I'm sort of bad at getting – if someone says something kind of negative, everyone's been really positive, the reaction to, to Portland yeah. India. So uh, I don't know. I, I'm sort of deaf to like, oh, if someone had a, a problem with an impression or something. But – I had a thing when Portlandia came out because I was at, I want to say I was at the premiere or the second season premiere at like Museum of Natural History, I want to say. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, and I met Carrie Brownstein for the first time and I was able to be like really fan, you know, fanboy over and just be like, oh my, this show is, it really, but it really was, I mean, that show is so, uh, astoundingly funny that it it was um you know how like you think you hit your ceiling on laughter and then you see something else and you go oh that wasn't my ceiling on laughter <laughs> that was my experience of portlandia i i really appreciate it I, you were very kind to us from the very start i remember you would send me messages and then i remember we um, <laughs> i would knock on your door oh, in the middle it was of the, the night. best it was the best and it was also me getting to know you as well you know what i mean like yes that yeah. was there was that but I remember we uh, were up for a WGA award, and you were the presenter for this category, oh. and Portlandia was up. And then we won, and your reaction was so <laughs> genuine. I forgot about this. It was so genuinely happy. You were like, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget it. It was so nice. You were like, you, you were happy about it. I was an early tweeter about it. Like I would tweet Storm about Portlandia and how extraordinary it was because it was one of these things where like my brother Joe and I were talking about like what our experience at Portlandia was. And we were talking about how he remembers a specific conversation that we had about the alternative wedding sketch. Okay. You did a sketch about these people who want their wedding to be so different from other people's weddings. And then... It gets stranger from there, and you zoom out, and stranger than that, and stranger. It like does the does the great trick that Portlandia at its best does, and and Joe and I remember having this conversation after that episode aired, and we just go, um, I wonder if they're worried that they can never top themselves again. <laughs> <laughs> that I think that was from our experiences of like going to people's weddings or being invited to weddings that were supposed to be so, you know, <laughs> yeah, different. different. Yes, yes. It's very like, this is really going to be different. And it's just yeah. so much work. Did you ever fear you weren't going to be able to top yourself? Did you ever have this like, no, there's no way we could. Do, do you mean a as a sketch or as episode? a sh- episode? Just as an episode. Oh, all the time. I mean, not a fear, just like uh, this feeling of, wow, I, that was, I'm very happy with how this turned out. I hope I, we can come up with something else. But we always seem to do it mostly because of, you know, there were there were a bunch of us. And there was Jonathan and Carrie. And uh, we 
we, we, we were able to find weird little things that we could get on the air. Did you ever have things where, like Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up, is like my favorite book yeah, about great, great the book. creation of comedy. Yeah. And he talks about like how, like he set rules for himself along the way. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to do jokes about this topic. I'm not going to do current events. I'm not going to yeah. do, you know, he'd say like, I'm not going to uh, confess to the audience if I think I'm bombing. Uh-huh. I'm not going to let them know, that yeah. kind of thing. Did you have anything in Portlandia like that where there were secret Portlandia rules oh, creating yeah. the world? Definitely some secret Portlandia rules. I think one of them was not to be mean to anyone. And it didn't come from like uh, a moral standpoint. It was just performance-wise. I think when we, got, when we started getting mean or angry, it just it becomes a bummer. It becomes, it's just, so we just tried to like keep it optimistic Keep it short. Um, I think we try not to um, do anything because it, it, there's it's such a long cycle before it went on the air. We also try not to do anything too specifically topical. Sure, sure. So we, it wasn't like SNL. We had we didn't have that luxury, so we had to keep things a little a little vague. Um, but the main thing was like not just trying trying not to be mean. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, when you say be mean, like, in other words, like, you love the characters you're playing, you love those characters. Always, always. Not look right. at this stupid idiot. None of that stuff, you know. It was right. All, it was all very, like, this is someone I could be or this is someone I would like. That is something that I feel like defines your comedy, which is, like, I feel like you genuinely like people. I do. Yeah. You, you, you I sort of are, I do. And I would even say, like, being an impressionist, like, that's a love of people, too, because you're just observing people. If you're able to do someone's voice, you're actually in love with their voice. Yeah, yeah. Something in, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I, I, it is something like that where yeah. it's, um, you know, it's a kind of a, a curiosity. Like, what is that? Yes. What is that type of person? What is this thing that people do? What is this saying that's been coming up a lot? That kind of thing. I always bring up your name because you did an impression of me when we did a college gig together mm. once. Um, do you remember in New Jersey, we did the College oh, of yes. New Jersey. Oh, yeah. In Ewing, New Jersey. And it was like 2013, I want to say. Yeah. And you came up on stage and did an impression of me. And to this day, <laughs> I always say that that the the best impression of me is either Fred Armisen or, or Bill Hader, your, your, your castmate. Um, but what do you, if someone wanted to do an impression of me, like what's the... What are the defining characteristics about me that you go like, okay, use that, use that, use that? It would be a facial thing. So it's kind of harder to do on this. Okay. But I always just think about you on stage. Yeah. And to me, you're, uh, you're about to do a slow list. <laughs> so it's almost like presenting numbers. So to me, I'm not going to do the voice right now, but it's a very, okay. so in your eyes, it's like, Here's number one. <laughs> Here's number two. Here's number three. There's a, there's a, um, there's like a, you know, there's a, a patience to it. And there's a sort of, I, I, you know, I'm going to bring you in. I feel like that's something that, that my wife, Jen, might say to me one day, like, I'm sick of your slow lists. <laughs> Like that's like like bubbling underneath the surface. Yeah, a frustration <laughs> with my slow lists.
stepping away from my conversation with Fred Armisen to send a shout out to Magic Spoon. I mean, Magic Spoon. I could talk about Magic Spoon all day. First of all, I love cereal. <laughs> I love pizza. I love cereal. Um, I love Magic Spoon cereal. It's like, it's kind of like eating sugar cereal, but there's zero grams of sugar and there's 13 to 14 grams of protein, only net four grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Uh, uh, you, you can build your own box, right? So the, you got the f- different flavors. You got cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cinnamon. For a limited time, they have cookies and cream and maple waffle. Just just give this a shot, right? Go to magicspoon.com slash burbigs. Use promo code burbigs. At checkout, and in Canada, by the way, same website, magicspoon.com. It'll redirect you to the Canadian version of it. Magicspoon.com slash Burbigs. Use code Burbigs to save $5. And now, back to the show. We do this thing called the slow round where it's sort of based on, like, memories and, and things that sort of have stuck with you. Was there ever a group that you wanted to be a part of that didn't want you to be a part of it? Oh, do you mean like, um, wow. Do you mean like when I was a kid? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I always felt weird not being blonde. Oh, my gosh. So, like, if there were blonde kids, I was like, God, that must be great. You know? Oh, my gosh. It's It's a or freckles or something. That's hilarious. <laughs> it makes no sense. Blonde it makes kids. No sense. I was like, <laughs> the you know what? This is so random. But I this isn't my own childhood memory. But this is someone else messaged me this week from my past, and he said, and I hadn't talked to him in probably 30, 30 some years. And he goes, uh, do you remember? <laughs> it's already good. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, do you remember um, a bunch of us being on the Morgan's roof and uh, and you had to pee. And so you peed on like what ended up being like a pipe that was like an exhaust pipe from like a, it was from like a laundry uh, room. And so you did that and then they they had the smell in their house for like weeks to come in no. the laundry room i swear to god i swear to god and i get this message and i go i go jeff <laughs> that's his real name i should i should have made up a fake name but his real name is jeff and he, and i go jeff i do not remember that but i also can't say that that didn't happen yeah i mean it may have happened oh i trust his memory <laughs> That's that's too specific. That's that's that, for that to be made up. I know. It's funny that you don't remember it. But that's so specific. And then I go, what's funny is is I go like all I remember about that house was that I've never been inside that house. Mhm. Like it was a friend of ours. Yeah. And he goes, "Well, that's because the mom Never let anyone inside the house because it would get dirty. Oh man! And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that that checks oh, out. Yeah. I buy that." Boy, that that person created childhood memories for other people of never being allowed into their house. Like she doesn't yeah. understand the like the impact of you know being that unfriendly. 
I don't even know if it's unfriendly. It's just like some people have that about their house. They're just like, no kids in the house. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but that's I, when I think of you, that's one of the defining things about you is you're, you're extremely nice. You're friendly, kind. Uh, that, I remember that one time you drove me home from that New Jersey college gig, and then I literally was like, you can drop me anywhere. You can drop me on the highway. You were going to yeah. Manhattan. I was going to Brooklyn. You drove me to to my 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 doorstep. Oh, yeah, come it, on. It was so generous. <laughs> do you think that you are, um, who do you get that from? Is that from your parents? Is that from, like, how you were raised? Is that from, like, life experience? Like, because not everybody has that. I think that's from friends that I, I've known throughout my life. I think it's from friends from when I was in Chicago and I didn't have a car. And that's mm -hmm. just kind of like what you did. That's interesting. Yeah. It, and it's also like, also selfishly, it just completes the trip. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to if I dropped you somewhere, the, yeah. it, something's not done until you like tell me you got home okay. Like That is so funny to me. Yeah. It's an, it, it becomes another, you know, well, another, that's a little, another leg that, of a trip that I'm like responsible for. That's a little bit of an OCD quality, right? It might be, yeah. But it's it's, it's, like it's, it's going to bed. Closing the loop. Yeah, just yeah. like let's 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 go to sleep. Let's let's go to bed and every the night is done. That is really funny. Yeah. Do you what when you were on tour as a punk in a your punk band? Yeah. What was the strangest thing you've ever witnessed? Because I feel like with punk shows, it's like people are are moshing and they're yeah. like, you know, there's fights sometimes yeah. at punk shows. Like, what's the weirdest thing you've ever witnessed at those shows? There was one crazy thing I remember in Las Vegas where um, our, our singer is African-American and Nazis, like, Nazis showed up. We were opening no for a band called Down by Law, I think. And they were really good, but for some reason a bunch of skinheads showed up. Oh my god! And uh, we played, I think, one or two songs, and we just left. It was just, clearly they were not into us. But that was pretty wow. nasty. <laughs> that was bad news. Wait, so but but there was no fighting or anything. No fighting, but it was aggressive enough that we were like, we're done. I feel like that's. Do you ever think about writing that as a movie, like something in that universe? Yeah, except some of it seems so unbelievable. You know, yeah. you're like, if you watched a movie of a bunch of skinheads showed up, I have a memory of them Zeke Hiling. Maybe they, you know, maybe, I don't, I don't know oh if they gosh. went that far, but it was. Wow. Um, you, but you wouldn't believe it. Because also, why did they turn up? You know what I mean? Like, it, right. also it was a, a legit theater. I think it was a theater there. It was like a legit show that it made no sense. We're like, Las Vegas, why here? But wow. there they were. That was a real bummer. That's That was something that, we walked away from going like this is not this is the not fun part of touring. That is really sad. Yeah. Yeah, that was Gosh. that was not good. That's uh also because like punk rock is it's supposed to be a sort of uh you know, like its own protected world. So that that some people took punk rock as meaning that is just that was very disheartening. Right. It's supposed to be sort of about people who feel like outcasts exactly. and they're going to make their own music and everybody is sort of accepted in that. Yeah. Like the out, you know, the, the freaky kind of, you know, yeah. there's something artsy about it, but that was such a th sort of thuggish 
That's what's funny about it. You know, we talk about like the idea of it being a movie. It's like, that's what was funny about uh, This is Spinal Tap, which is as a touring performer, you just go like, yeah, like most of this is pretty accurate. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my (laughs) God. The accuracy of that movie. It's dead on. I mean, here we are 40 years later, and that is dead on. It's always, it's every venue is like that. It's every venue is. No one knows where the exits are. No one knows where the entrances are. No one knows where the dressing rooms are. <laughs> and and also this, that thing of um, talking things up so, so you can yeah. feel better about it. Hey, we're, yeah. you know, we're fifth before the headliner, but, <laughs> but we're not seventh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so true. Well, I think one time you were saying, I was asking you about SNL, and you were saying, like, one of the strangest things I think was meeting McCart- Paul McCartney. Right? Oh yeah, I mean strange, but in a good way. I mean that's the most. First of all, it's the most that I ever tried to you know play it cool and not freak him out with how much yeah. he means to me. Yeah. Um, but to see someone not at his concert, you know, it wasn't like he's yeah. like. It was because it was SNL and we're all working anyway. It was such a great environment that. Also that he wanted to hang out with everybody and yeah. everyone was being funny and loose. It wasn't like an award ceremony or something. It was like this loose, crazy thing. So, oh my God, a highlight. Yeah, are you kidding do you me? Have any, do you have any advice for anyone who ever meets their hero? What to, like you, you're meeting McCartney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you have advice? What should you, how should you act? What, you, what should you say? What should you do? if you meet your version of Paul McCartney in your life? I would say relax. And to make it a nice moment, don't treat it as like, um, this is it. (laughs) Yes. Treat it as like, you know, just imagine, even if if chances are it's not going to happen, imagine that there'll be like 10 more chances and just relax, just to have like a nice memory. Yeah. To, to be like, it's, even if it's something that seems trivial or silly, just so that that memory is just a relaxed memory. Yeah. That would be what my is advice. The, the final slow round, my final slow round question is, what is a piece of advice someone has given to you that you used and it actually worked? Um, these are good questions. You're good at this. Thanks. I'm trying. Because I have not, because I've not thought of these before. Um, John Waters told me first. I, I, you know, I was pen pals with him when I was a kid. Oh no, kidding! And John Waters, of course, is a legendary yeah. kind of filmmaker from I think Maryland, right? But from Baltimore. But from Baltimore, yeah. And um, later, in, in more recent years, we were just talking about you know when people come up to you and meet you and and want to talk to you or, or whatever. He's his policy is always be nice, and oh, yeah. uh, so he he said to me. He goes, "Those are your customers," <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> like a little shop. And uh, I, you know, it's a I know it's like a businessy way to think of it. Yeah, and I don't mean it in that term, but it is a sort of like, yeah, those people are approaching you because you know they like what you do. So it's good to have a good attitude about it. When I was working at the door at the Washington, D.C. Improv when I was in college, I opened for Dave Chappelle, and it was right before Half-Baked came out. And I asked him for a bunch of advice and different things. And 
and he was very sweet and accommodating. And then he goes, uh, he goes, get all your friends to go to Half Baked, man. <laughs> it was funny. He, it was like a little ad at the end. It was like he tagged me with an ad for Half Baked. Because I was one of the customers. Yeah. There was, oh, there's a really good one that Nick Swartzen told me. Yeah. This is a really literal one that I, yeah. that I took the advice and I still use it to this day. And he got it from somebody else. When you walk on stage, be smiling. Oh my God, that's so smart. I love it. Wow. Wow, is that a good piece of advice? Meaning like the audience is like- I've never heard that. What, I love why that. Is, why, you know, what's he happy about? What, what you know, let us in. Oh, I now, thought that was so I've, good. First of all, I've never heard that as advice. Uh, second of all, that's actually, it's just a wonderful piece of advice. And not just for the stage. In general, a good default is a, is a nice smile. Absolutely. Yeah, why not? Absolutely. Why not lead with a smile? Stepping away from my conversation with Fred Armisen to send a shout out to Truff Hot Sauce. Truff Hot Sauce is a, it's a completely unique uh, thing. It's like a luxury hot sauce with real black truffles and chili peppers. And it's got this amazing taste. Uh, I gave it to my brother, Joe. Because you know Joe. Joey Bag of Donuts loves free stuff. <laughs> and he called me from a parking lot. <laughs> Uh, of of a, of, a, of a cafe, and he's he's eating an egg and cheese sandwich, and he puts truff on it, and he goes, "This is unbelievable." And later that night, he texts me, and he goes, "I put it on brown rice. It's unbelievable." Uh, and so it's sort of like its own deal. Like you can sort of put it on anything. I have have, have it with chicken. I put it on quesadillas. Uh, you can get fifteen percent off site wide when you use promo code Burbigs at truff.com. T R U F F dot com. Promo code Burbigs. Give it a shot. I I think you'll love it. And now, back to the show. So this is a story that I wanted to run by you today. It's actually based on like a, a, a joke I had, like I said, a one-off joke years ago. But then I recently wrote out the full story and I thought, oh, maybe this could be in something, which is I was, I was uh, many years ago, I was living in this small apartment in Greenwich Village that was slightly bigger than my body. And one day I saw a mouse and I leaned over and I, I said, where are you gonna sleep? And, uh, and so I went to the corner bodega to get some traps. And my, my observation about traps is that I, I feel like they're obvious even for, for mice. It, it's, it's like saying like, hey, you want some cheese on a wooden plank? Like I don't have proof of this, but I, I think the mice who go for it are the slightly overweight sort of Mike Birbiglia of mice who are going like, <laughs> I know it's a trap. I, I just like cheese. <laughs> so I look at the, at the snap traps, but then I get the glue trap, which ethically I'm opposed to, but I also didn't want to live with a, a mouse. And so I bring it home. This is on, I was living on Sullivan Street at the time. And I reluctantly put one of the traps on the floor. And I swear to God, Fred, the moment I put it down, I see a mouse jog across the floor towards me, uh, stick into <laughs> the glue trap, and immediately 
completely stuck right in front of me. And I was like, this is my worst nightmare. So I immediately try to free the mouse. I take a toilet brush and I'm trying to push the mouse off the trap. But even in the best case scenario, I get him off and he's got one leg and he's got glue on his back. And it's like un your uncle with war scars, like uncle glue traps back. <laughs> so now I'm panicking and I'm saying to the mouse, like, I know we've had our differences, but I'm going to get you out of here. We're going to save your life. I'm going to set you up by a nearby dumpster behind an Italian restaurant. So I'm pushing and pushing, and it hits me that there's no chance that I'm going to break this mouse free from the glue trap. And so I decide that I'm going to drown the mouse. And so I put the trap in the toilet, but the, the, the trap keeps floating to the top, and I'm pushing it down with a toilet brush, and it floats up. And now I'm forcing the mouse to do bobs. He's in this morbid swimming class at the Y. And finally, uh, the mouse perishes. <sighs> and I'm in my underwear and I'm sweaty and I'm exhausted. And, my, and, and in my hand is a toilet brush <laughs> attached to a glue trap, attached to a dead, drowned mouse. And in this state, I exit my apartment on Sullivan Street hmm. and, and walk to the garbage and I look around and there are five people staring at me and then glancing away. And that's when I realize that eventually we all become someone else's New York story. This is great. That one's complete. Thanks. That's complete. Does that feel complete to yeah, you? Yeah, that's a complete beginning, middle, end. Excellent. I guess, my, I guess my question to you would be, does this story about yeah. the mouse mm -hmm. make it into a show about mortality is it thematically tight enough to to be in a show called the old man in the pool yes but i don't see it as beca because of the mouse's mortality it's <laughs> yeah. it's the sort of um uh Thinking what other people think about you when you go out into, you know, when you're outside. Oh, interesting. That's the part that gets you. Yeah, that's the part where that, I don't know if I'm like reaching for this, but I do no, feel that, like, I, think I, I, think I do feel like me in my neighborhood when I'm in front of my house is me at my real age. If I'm taking yeah. out the garbage, if I'm, yeah. you know, doing something with yeah. leaves, that's sure. where you're like, if a little kid saw you, they're like, Either they could sort of pick out you're who you are. You're that guy. You're that guy. And so yeah. that, the mortality part is like you, you're like, it's not a glamorous, fun thing to go to your garbage can to throw out that mouse. That's where you're yes. like, this is, you know, there's the romantic version that it's like a New York story, but then there's just like, you, that, that's you as a real, like a grown up. That's really interesting. That is so helpful because it does make me realize like, that's a worthwhile thing to ponder in the show, which is this idea of like, we're all the protagonists of our own lives. Yeah. But then to other people, we just aren't. <laughs> we're just that guy. Yeah. We're, we're the guy holding a mouse on a toilet brush in yeah. his underwear. And it's not a dating story. It's yeah. not like there was a date and I, you know, I was, you know, trying to, you know, it's none of that stuff. It's like very domestic, like, yeah. There was a mouse in my house. Yeah. And, you know, I had to kill it. That is so helpful. Oh, my pleasure. It's, I'm glad I got to hear it. There was, I, I had a 
rat guy coming to my house. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I didn't think I had a rat problem, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, someone told me, uh, 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 my um, sort of handyman was like, there's, you know, uh, rat waste uh, in your crawl space. So it's yeah. something that every, you know, it's just a part of having a, a house. I'm sorry, a gigantic mansion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so anyway, this guy came up and... The, the, this guy was great. He he set down rat traps, but he explained to me that rats are so smart. Yeah. That he has to wear gloves when he puts peanut butter on a rat oh, trap because wow. rats smell a human hand, and they're like, "That's a trap." No. <laughs> they're no. so smart that they're like, "We're not going for that peanut butter." So make sure that that thing really smells like you know a human hasn't been around it. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, incredible. And, and did, your, did your rat problem go away? I, I, honestly, I don't think I had a rat problem. That sounds like such a denial, but I never, yeah. never saw one. It's possible also that I could dig into just how much I fear rats and mice because they, they do sort of infect my dreams. Like they're they, horrible. They are, they're horrible. They're awful. There's something, the imagery of, of rats and mice, and I, I don't know if you've read the legends of the, the rat king, oh. the groups of rats that form one single rat. If you see one rat, there's just, there are others right nearby. Yes. They're in the walls. They're all, they're, yes. all, they're wherever humans are. Oh my no, gosh. They're smart and horrible. I No, I don't have a, you know, like, uh, a sort of like love of like, oh, but actually, you know, they're, I think they're terrible. Yeah. They, only, you know what? Not as animals. I don't disapprove of them as animals. I just feel like get out of, our houses. We built yeah. these things. Get yeah. out of here. Get your own house. You have all of this. Build nature. your own house. Go to, to a forest. Yeah. There's so much space. You see that this looks like a house. Yeah. You see that we're trying to get rid of you. Uh, get out. We're gonna get, Fred, we're going to get a lot of letters about this. Well, it's a discussion. If we get a lot of letters, then it's an open <laughs> discussion. <laughs> The final thing we do is called working it out for a cause. And uh, if if you have a nonprofit that you've given to in the past, what we do is we uh, I donate to them and then I link them in the show notes. And uh, and it could be it could be anyone. Great, it's called SweetRelief.org, and it's for musicians. It's for it's a um, yeah, it's a a charity for musicians who are going That's great. through hard times, and it's you know. So they're great. That's a great thing. We'll contribute to them. And and yeah, something to keep in mind is that like live performers have basically not been able to perform for a year. I mean, it's 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 a real struggle. Especially since they can't also don't sell records in the same way. Yeah. So yeah. it's this it was the one thing that people would always talk about is like, at least there's live shows. Yeah. Well, Fred, thank you so much. It's uh it's, it's such an honor to have you on. I appreciate your notes and feedback. They're really helpful. Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that with me. I feel uh, honored. Working it out, because it's not done. Working it out, because there's no That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. Thank you uh, so much. For listening, uh, we're gonna, <laughs> I love talking to Fred. We're going to post the video clip uh, of his impression of me on my Instagram uh, and Twitter, which are both at Burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, uh, because 
his uh, counting impression of me is quite visual. Uh, the producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis, special thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. As always, a special thanks to Jack Andonoff for his music, and a very special thanks to my wife, the great J-Hope Stein. Our book, The New One, uh, is in your local bookstore. So keep supporting your local books, your local pizza, your, your local groceries, uh, your local produce. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created this radio fort made of pillows. And thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We're working it out. Right here. On Working It Out. <laughs> I'll see you next time.